Well, good morning, everybody. Man, the house is full. It's so great to see you. God's doing great things in our midst. Last week, we had five students at Eckerd and one after church last Sunday who trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior. Six salvations. Uh, the, the, you know, there's a party in heaven over one sinner that repents. So I can't imagine what's happening right now in heaven. And all around the world, millions of people are coming to know Jesus Christ. Thank God. We, Lord, we're overwhelmed with you this morning. Thank you, God. Thank you. We praise you, Lord. We praise you. We're so glad you're here. Welcome. If you have your Bibles this morning, we're going to be in Acts chapter 4 in just now. So go ahead and turn there. We're going to have it on the screen for you as well. But I hope you bring your Bibles every week so that we can dig in the Word of God together. Uh, so I want to also share with you trail, our trail life, our Alternative to Boy Scouts, uh, it's church, uh, local church based. Our Trail Life guys, along with uh, Dr. Chris Roberts and Brian McDevitt, uh, probably Jim Nealon, a number of our leaders, there's about 17 of them there today in Tennessee. They've been doing some, I don't think they've been spelunking in a cave, but they've been in caves, all right? And th th they were told to bring clothes that they didn't mind throwing away because they were going to get so muddy. And Pastor Brian said, if they tell me to go through this really narrow passage down to it, I'm not doing it. <laughs> you remember the cave debacle just a few months back. But, uh, so we thank God for our students that we're having the, the chance to make disciples of. Uh, lots of wonderful things going on. Uh, this morning, uh, last week we had uh, Sabat, Sabat and Susie Kuj, uh, our missionaries to South Sudan. What a great uh, update from them. Uh, at the end of the service today... Uh, our uh, Wilkes Pregnancy Care Center Executive Director, Susan Sturgill, is going to share with us. Susan and some of the board members and spouses and some of the staff and spouses are with us. We support them every month. We're absolutely 130% behind what they do. Would you guys stand, all of you who represent uh, Wilkes Pregnancy Care Center this morning? All right, thank you guys. We're so blessed and honored to have you with us, and we're going to hear a report from them just before our offering this morning. So God's doing wonderful, wonderful, wonderful things. Well, last week, we, we okay, so we're the church on the move. That's what the book of Acts is about, about the history of the very first church and how the church started. So we're going from birth all the way through. So we, the first section was birthing, the birthing of the church in Acts chapter 1 and 2, and the Holy Spirit came down and indwell believers in a different way than ever before, in a permanent way. Every believer receives the Spirit of God in their life. That was birthing. Then last week, we transitioned into growing. And we're talking about, you know, the Bible says from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. So we're going through that progression as the church moves out. If you look at your programs this morning, there's an arrow on the program, and it's pointing right. That's the idea of Forward movement. And that's what the Church of Jesus Christ is about. That's what Celebration Church is about moving forward. So in this series, as we go through the book of Acts, we're going from birthing to growing to scattering where the persecution comes and they scatter the seed. But as they scatter the seed, they're scattered into various places in the world. And then we move on from sending where they, to sending where they send out their very best people right from their church into different places and regions in the world. And we're all about sending. And uh, yesterday I had the privilege of uh, sharing with uh, Nathan and Mandy Garrett for about an hour and a half on the phone. They're in Tijuana, Mexico. They're preparing for third, third world missions. 
And they, I can't wait to share with you the places that they're thinking about going. It's a secret now, but you're going you're gonna to be excited when we share about what God's doing there. So sending, and then the last section is persevering. Persecution in the church has always been a part of it. And someone said that the, the lifeblood of the church has, has been the, the seed of the martyrs has been the lifeblood of the church. The church has prospered under persecution. So even though now, sometimes even in our own country, we feel persecuted, the, that, that is the model for the church because we live in a world that is averse to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we're so, so excited. If you've missed, go online. You can catch up, get all of our messages online and do that. So we've moved into the position now of growth. We're talking about growth. And the first thing I want to say to you this morning is that growth involves knots, N-O-T. Growth involves knots. Now, I want to show you a couple of pictures. Wait, before we show the picture, don't put it up yet. How many of you know what a burl is? B-U-R-L. If you know, raise your hand. Okay, a burl. Okay, I'm going to show you a picture of a burl. That is a burl. That's a growth on the tree. It's caused by some sort of stress. It could be parasites. It could be fungus. It could be a constriction somewhere on the tree. But it's a growth that takes place on the tree that's abnormal. But the end result is somewhat surprising. Because if you cut the section of the tree off that has a burl, they're, they're valuable. Depending on how big the burl is, you could get $500 for a burl. So if you've got any burls on your trees, you need to go and check it out because it could be very valuable. But you can get something that looks like this out of a burl. Now that's, that's a, drum, a set of drums made with burl wood wrapped around that drum. So something that begins as a stressor in the life of the tree can produce great things, beautiful things. How many of you had a stressful week? Raise your hand. My hand's up. My hand's up. There's been sickness in my family. There's been sickness in my church. I've had a stressful week. Sometimes this week I felt like quitting, and, and I did quit for a little bit and just went home and rested and worked from home. But th this life is stressful, but stresses can produce beautiful things in our life when presented to God for his glory. Amen? So don't waste your stress. You might want to write that down. I will not waste my stress, all right? Don't waste whatever stress is in your life. Commit it to God and ask God to do something special. So the tree undergoes some type of stress, and, but with work and time, it can be given an attractive nature when it's polished and used. God wants to polish us. He's busy polishing us, and he wants to use us and make something beautiful by the grace of God in our life. So let's go to our text, Acts chapter 4, as we plod through the book of Acts verse by verse. We're going to look at chapter 4 today. Now, last week, Pastor Brian brought a dynamic message from chapter 3 of Acts about this lame man, the first recorded miracle in the book of Acts. Uh, this lame man, aside from the Holy Spirit coming down, this was a physical miracle of healing. The man was lame from his birth, 40 years old, and Jesus raised him up and he walked. It was an undeniable miracle. And God used that in that man's life to bring many people. He always uses miracles in the Bible to point people to the message of Jesus, to point people to the message of redemption. And he does that in our lives too and in our church. And he's done that in our church 
Recently, we had our mortgage paid off because of some people committing to God and God doing miraculous things. So God's in the business of doing miraculous things. Now, in Acts chapter 4, this great notable deed, this good thing, this really good thing, is called into question by the leaders that are in place in the nation. Some of them religious. And so we pick up the reading in Acts chapter 4, verse 1. And as they were speaking to the people, this is the, the preachers, the apostles, Peter, John, and other people were there present. As they were speaking to the people, the priest, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed. Because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of them came to be about 5,000. So we're talking in a short period of time, the, the day of Pentecost, Peter preaches his first message. 3,000 come to know Jesus Christ as Savior now. The number of the believers in the church were at least 5,000. We're not sure if that figure included women and children or not at this point. But at least 5,000 are birthed into the church by the power of the Spirit of God. Now, how in the world could something like healing a man who'd never been off his bed, people have to pick him up daily and carry him to a place where he could beg for food? And he had the sign, no job, no food. No feet. <laughs> you know, he had feet, but he couldn't use them. He couldn't walk. And God miraculously healed this man. And now the leaders, many of them religious, call into question the very act and works of God. How in the world could that be? It says that they were annoyed. Now, who were these people? The, it says the, the priest, the captain of the temple. So the high priest was number one in charge. The captain of the temple was number two in charge. And the Sadducees religious board, if you will, were annoyed, it says. They were greatly annoyed in verse 2 because they were teaching and proclaiming Jesus and the resurrection. Now, why did that bother them? Believe it or not, the Sadducees, a religious group of people, denied the, the resurrection. They denied not only Jesus' resurrection, but they denied Eternity. They denied that there would be any resurrection of anybody. Now, how can people who call themselves religious leaders deny the very essentials of the Christian faith? But it's happening all around us, isn't it? Even today in our country, people do the same thing. So these religious leaders were annoyed. So the Sadducees did not believe in any resurrection. Jesus' resurrection, your resurrection from the grave, my grandma's resurrection from the grave, they didn't believe it at all. And so they were sad, you see. That's a good way to remember the Sadducees. I know it's a little corny, but if you want to think about what the Sadducees believed, they believed in no resurrection. They didn't believe in the angels and demons and the supernatural. So they were sad, you see. And a person who calls himself religious but doesn't believe in the miraculous power of God and the power of the Holy Spirit are very sad. Amen. It's a sad state when churches deny the power and the teaching of God. So they were annoyed at the teaching of Jesus and the resurrection. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day. So it was later in the day. And they were about to check out for the day. Short, long story short. 
And so they said, we're going to put you in holding cells till tomorrow, and we'll come and visit you with this case, and we'll discuss it with you. Because it was already evening, the end of verse 4, and verse, uh, the end of verse 3. And verse 4 says, but many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men was about 5,000. So they arrested the apostles, but the gospel could not be arrested. Amen? They can put you in jail. They can tell you to shut up, but the gospel of Jesus Christ will go forward. Unstoppable God we sang about. You say, well, I know some churches that have closed. Absolutely. Local churches like this one can close if we don't do the work of God and the power of God and in the name of God and in the name of Jesus Christ and we don't believe in the resurrection. We can, we can fold. Local churches can fold and they have. But a church who stands on the gospel of Jesus Christ and the resurrection is strong and the church is unstoppable when they move in the power and the spirit of God. They could arrest the apostles, but they could not arrest or slow the growth of the church and of the gospel. They kept moving forward, and now 5,000 people named the name of the Lord, the risen Lord Jesus Christ. So these were people that called bad good and good bad. Do we have politicians in our country that do that today? Do we have lawmakers in our country that do that today? Absolutely. Isaiah, if you want to write this down and look it up later, it's not going to be on your screen, but Isaiah chapter 5 verse 20 says, Woe to them that call evil good and call good evil. Woe to them that call evil good and good evil. We're going to hear about the pregnancy care center this morning and abortion. There are people who call us evil because we think it's evil to kill a baby. Hundreds of thousand dollar fine to destroy a turtle egg, which I don't think we should do. Or a bald eagle egg, $500,000 fine. We can destroy a human baby. I was appalled and brought to tears a couple of weeks ago when I read a statistic that last year in 2018, 41.9 million Babies worldwide were aborted. By far the largest cause of death in the world. More, th more than cancer, HIV, AIDS, automobile ac accidents, and many other hosts of diseases all put together is the killing of innocent babies. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, Isaiah 5.20. And that's what these men were doing. They called these men who did a good thing in the power of the Spirit of God, and they didn't do it. God did it through them. But it raised up a man, and many people came to know the saving, resurrecting power of Jesus Christ. They, they called it evil, and they tried to shut him up. Here's the first thing I want you to write down. We're going to say some, talk about some knots this morning. My mom used to threaten to jerk a knot in my tail if I didn't do what she said or put a knot on your head. Some of you were raised that way. Uh, others of you, unfortunately, have missed out on that. I've got a few knots in my head today. Not really from my mom so much. They were in a different location. I went, some of you just got that. She didn't hit me in the head most of the time. It was a little south of there. I will not be silenced. Here's what I want you to write. Here's our first knot. I will not be silenced when the world tries to shut me up. 
unfortunately, a lot of people who name the name of Christ, unfortunately, don't even need people to threaten them because they're already shut up. They're not proclaiming boldly the glory of God and the power of Jesus and the resurrection. And they're afraid and they're timid and they're shy. Unlike Tim Tebow. You know, Tim Tebow had a sponsor, Nike. And Nike forbade him to, with his own money, put on the side of their shoes Bible verses. Some of you might not know who Tim Tebow is. An athlete, he was a football player, baseball player professionally. Uh, He's doing lots of things now. He's on TV. God's using him in a mighty way. But he's a strong believer in Jesus Christ. And Nike said, you're not going to put verses on the side of your shoes. So Tebow, with his multi-million dollar contract, had to decide if he's going to honor God or honor Nike and and the dollar. So he went, and this is not a commercial, by the way. He went to Under Armour, or they came to him. I'm not really sure how it happened. And they said, not only will, we put, will you let you put the verses on your shoes, we'll print them on there for you. Can we give it up for a man who stands on principle? They try to shut him up. But I will not be silenced when the world tries to shut me up. The irony of this message here is this. The, the people who were the accused standing before the powers that be, They were bold in their message. They were clear in their message. They couldn't be shut up. But the leaders, as we'll see in the passage, didn't have much to say. They could not deny the works of God. And the accusers were way more timid than the accused. I will not be silenced when the world tries to shut me up. That's number one. Look at verse five. On the next day... The the rulers and elders and scribes. So now we got all the bigwigs together. Gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander. And all who were of a high priestly family. So you got the big dogs there. Verse 7. And when they set them in the midst, they inquired by what power. Two things. By what power and by what name do you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, controlled by, empowered by the Spirit of God, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we're being examined today concerning the good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? In other words, it it was ludicrous. You're questioning us about this man who couldn't walk for 40 years and now he can walk and you're putting us on display and wondering about the credibility of such a miracle of God? If that is what you're doing and if that is what you're asking, look at verse 10. Let it be known to all you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, can I get an amen? Amen. By the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified. These guys weren't shutting up. They were calling a spade a spade, and they called it out. You religious people crucified him. By the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. So they didn't take any credit for it. 
They didn't take a special offering to honor themselves or they didn't ask to send prayer claws or anything like that. They just said, God did it. God did it. By Jesus Christ of Nazareth is this man standing before you well. Verse 11. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you builders. The stone that was rejected by you builders, which has become the cornerstone. In verse 12. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated in common men, they were astonished. So they moved from being annoyed, greatly annoyed, to being astonished. What's astonishing about your life and testimony for Christ? You say, well, I'm a pretty average person, so am I. No person here more average than me. There's nothing exceptional about me, but you know what? I serve a God who is great, a God who is powerful, a God who is astonishing, a God who created everything that we see and made it miraculously of great design, and he is an astonishing God. Can I get an amen? Amen. He's astonishing. More astonishing than Duke beating Carolina by a point this year. They were uneducated in common men. This doesn't mean they were ignorant, but they weren't, they weren't vetted by the local authorities. They didn't have the doctor sign on their name. They were astonished. Before we get to the next point, I'm, I'm going to introduce it by saying this. You've all thought about it. The greatest leaders of all nations have thought about it. Lions have thought about it. Armies and political leaders have thought about it. Everybody has thought about it at one time or another. And what they thought about and what you thought about maybe this week is quitting. Throwing in the towel on God and on your faith and on the world because of the attacks of people in the world who don't love and know Jesus and the the shadows that they cast upon the cross. You've all thought about it quitting. But here's our second knot this morning. I will not be stopped when the world tries to shut me down. The works that we're doing as a church, the work God's doing through us as the church, the people are the church. I will not be stopped when, God, when they try to shut me up, and I will not be stopped when they try to shut me down. I will not quit. Tragically, many are shut down already. No boldness. Their temperature is tepid. It's room temperature. Uh, Dustin, and I love Dustin, our worship leader. He challenged the worship team before they came out to stage to worship with you in music. He said, are you a thermostat or a thermometer? Thermometer just takes the temperature of everybody, you know, what's happening around a thermostat. You set it and you change the climate. Many Christians today, or professing Christians, many people who say they're Jesus' followers or just taking the temperature around them and then blending in like a chameleon, changing color depending on what group they're with. Are you a thermometer or a thermostat? I posted a meme this week that I loved. It said, if you take the words of depression, if you take the letters of the word depression and you rearrange them, you get I pressed on. I pressed on. 
Because your present situation is not your final destination. Amen? Come on, bring it, people. Your present situation is not your ultimate destination. It's not your final destination. Heaven is our home. But right now, we got work to do. we got to walk with Jesus, be filled with his spirit. I will not be silenced when the world tries to shut me up. I will not be stopped when the world tries to shut me down. Let's look further. Verse 13, the last part of the verse says this. They recognize that they had been with Jesus. Pause. Does your wife, does your husband, do your children, do your relatives, do your co-workers, do the people that you work out with in the gym, does the lady in the McDonald's drive through do they see that you have been with Jesus? Has it made a difference in your life? Look at verse 14. But seeing the man who was healed, he was physically present, physically miraculously healed, seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. Now we'll pause there a minute and say, later on, as the, 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 the intensity heats up with the persecution, they start saying more and more and trumping up charges and making charges, and they get vocal about it, like many in our government have done today, to deny anything that's good and to say that it's good is evil and evil is good. But here at this moment, they, the man was there beside of them. There was no shutting him down. There was no shutting them up. They had nothing to say in opposition because it was clear that God had done a miracle. Verse 15. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another. So they said, you got to step out of our chamber for a minute. We're going to confer. We're going to decide what to do about you evil guys. Verse 16, saying, what shall we do with these men? What shall we do with these men? What shall we do with Tim Tebow? What shall we do with the people in Wilkes County who's standing up for Jesus? What shall we do? With these men. For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further. So they said, This is a, something miraculous happened. We cannot dispute it. The evidence is clear that God is a God of miracles and that God is a God of creation, that God is a God of order. We can't dispute it. It's clear. But so that it spread no further. I find this so ironic. Something wonderful had happened. Starting with the resurrection of Jesus. And the resurrection of 5,000 souls to life. And the resurrection of a man from his bed of begging to he being healed. And yet they couldn't deny it. It was indisputable. But they wanted to stop it. Do you find that weird? You got to remember who our enemy is, right? The God of this world, Satan. The God of this age and this world system wants to shut us down and shut us up. So that it spread no further, verse 17, among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. Not just publicly, but don't even in your private conversations. Don't you talk about Jesus. Don't you pray in Jesus' name. Don't you say that Jesus is the only way. Verse 18. So they call them. And charge them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you 
rather than God? You must judge. Does that make any sense? We're, we're respectful to the government. But listen, God has spoken to us and God told us what to say and what to do. And we've witnessed it and we've seen it. And should we listen to you saying to shut up or should we listen to God saying to proclaim the message? Be it known to you all this, that this man standing before you here as well. Just, just verse 11. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you. The bill, Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm, 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 I went back in my notes. My bad. So, okay, so we pick up at verse 19. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak what we've seen and heard. And when they further threatened them, they threatened these people who God had used in a mighty way. When they further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them. Because the people were all praising God for what had happened. For the men on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. They couldn't dispute it. They couldn't deny it, but they wanted to stop it. It was clearly an act of God and a God of action. But they wanted to stop it. And they wanted to deny the clear evidence that was before them. Here's your third knot. I will not be scammed by the world when the world tries to shut out the evidence. I will not be scammed when the world tries to shut out the evidence. Listen, let me tell you something. There is no generation that has lived to date that is more responsible before God for disbelieving or saying that they don't believe. Romans says they believe it, but they don't want to give account to God, so they pretend that he doesn't exist, and they say he doesn't exist, and they worship the creation more the creator. There's no generation that's ever lived in the history of the world that's more accountable to God for the clear evidence that God exists. If you look under a microscope and see the evidence in the micro world, Protons, neutrons, electrons, quarks, things that we never could see in the, the great organization, in the DNA in a human body. In the micro view, there is no excuse for the foolishness of saying that God does not exist. In the macro view, this week go home and Google NASA Juno. Just this week, they posted some mission pictures from that NASA mission called Juno from outer space that took eight years to get here from space. And they published some pictures of the universe that are astoundingly beautiful, way more than that burl that was taken and made into something beautiful, a beautiful instrument. The, the design of the creation, the the magnificence of the creation, the micro view, the, the micro view and the macro view are all undisputable evidence that there is a designer, that there is a God. But these people, they didn't want to hear of it. I will not be scammed when the world tries to shut out evidence. Macrobiology, microbiology, design, order, complexity is all speaks to us, Romans 1 says, of the glory and the magnificence of God. And it cannot be stopped. Just take the human eye. Did you know that behind every eyeball that you have, I think most of you only have two. 
behind your eyeball, there's connections. Four million connectors behind each eyeball. Four million going into the brain and allowing the human eye to do things that are absolutely miraculous. And to say that this all happened from a cosmic burp somewhere with no designer? Don't be duped. Stop believing the lies. Stop believing the lies and believe the truth. I will not be stopped when the world tries to shut me down, shut me up. And I will not be scammed when the world tries to shut out the evidence. Look at verse 23. When they were released, they went to their friends. They went to their friends. When they were released, they went to their friends and they reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God. Okay, we got a problem. Houston, we have a problem. They're attacking us. They tell us to shut up and to shut down and to be deceived and not to believe the evidence. So they go to their friends and they have a prayer meeting. They lifted their voices together with God and said, Sovereign Lord. Sovereign means it's the word that we get, our English word, despotic ruler. It's the absolute sovereign ruler of the universe. They're recognizing that even these persecutors or in somehow God's divine plan. So when you have a burl in your life because of stress, remember God's trying to do something beautiful. God is sovereign. When you're taken to court, unjustly so. When you're attacked, unjustly so. That God is sovereign. And so they're saying, okay, I'm going to my friends. We're going to pray. And we're going to remember that God is the sovereign ruler of the universe. Nothing happens in my life without his permission. That will bring you some comfort. Amen? You say, I don't like it. Well, you're not God. He's making something beautiful out of that burrow. Out of that weakness. Out of that difficulty. And they pray to the sovereign Lord who made heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them in verse 25, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said to his Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your servant Jesus, whom you appointed both Herod, Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. So he's quoting from the Psalms. By the way, Jesus, the apostles, the New Testament scriptures all affirm the Old Testament. We believe the Bible from cover to cover. It's authenticated. They're quoting from the scripture about what the religious leaders of Jesus' day and the religious leaders of the apostles' day and the religious leaders many times of our day and the political leaders of our day that had denied the one who gave them life. In verse 28. To do whatever your hand and your plan has predetermined. So they said, God, we're in your hand. We're trusting your plan here. We can't see the end of it. I can't see the end of the sickness. I can't see the end of this trial. I can't see the end of this relationship. I can't see things working out good. But God, I'm going to trust your sovereignty. I'm going to trust your predetermined plan to take place. In verse 29, and now, Lord, look upon their threats. I love their prayer here. They didn't pray down vengeance of God on these people. They said, Lord, we're doing your work. We're being oppressed. We're being opposed. People are making fun of me in school. 
My professors in college make fun of me because I believe the Bible. People make fun of me because I'm a virgin. Because I believe in the sanctity of marriage. People make fun of me because I give money to the church. Don't you know that's a scam? People make fun of me because I'm trying to honor God and follow his word. They didn't say, Lord, take these people out. I can't promise you that I've never prayed that. (laughs) As a pastor, it's like, okay, Lord, you know this situation. Okay, I've never prayed that God would take any of you out, by the way. I thought about it some. No, not really. So they didn't say, Lord, take them out. They said, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with boldness. What do they pray for? They didn't even pray at this point for protection. They knew that God was in control. He's sovereign. God's never surprised by your troubles. He's never surprised by the circumstances in your life. He's sovereign. He's ruler and Lord. And we can't understand all the things he's orchestrating and why he always does things the way that he does. But we can trust him. Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak with boldness. If there's one prayer... If there's two prayers that I've prayed a million times, is this. Lord, give me wisdom. I don't know what to do. I don't know about to do, what to do about this person in my life. I don't know, Lord, what to do about this job situation. Lord, I don't know what to do about this congregation. Lord, I don't, I don't know what to do. That's one prayer I've prayed a million times. Lord, give me wisdom. But another prayer I've prayed a million times. Lord, give me boldness to speak forth your truth and your word. And that's what their prayer was. Not for vengeance, not for God bringing the leaders down, but Lord, just help us to be bold and to do what you called us to do. Verse 30. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. Lord, just keep doing what you're doing. Keep doing what you're doing. Do miracles and mighty works and salvations and bring people to Jesus. In verse 31, when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word with boldness. God already answered the prayers. He gave them a sign of his presence. He shook them. When's the last time we had a good word this morning from Elise? She sings beautifully. She's also eloquent, eloquent orator. And she challenged us this morning, you know, when's the last time, what's the question, when's the last time you were, were, were hungry? When's the last time you were hungry? When's the last time you were passionate for Christ and spoke the word with boldness And you were shaken in your life because God was doing something great. If God's not doing something great in your life, it's because you're not listening. It's not because God's not speaking. The ground was shaken, but it caused the followers of Jesus to be unshaken. When they prayed, God gave them boldness not to shut up, not to shut down. Not to be scammed. They went, verse 23 said again, to their friends. They went to their friends. Aristotle, one of the great church fathers in the past, said this. A friend is one soul trapped in two bodies. 
A friend is one soul trapped in two bodies. How, how close are you to people here? The people in your life group. Are you in a life group? Do you have Christian friends? No, look, you should have lost friends too because you want to win them and influence them for Jesus. But your best of best friends, they're going to lift you up and you're going to lift them up should be God's people that you love and pray with. They knew where to go in the midst of persecution. They went to their friends. So I will not be shut up. I will not be shut down. I will not be scammed. And fourthly, I will not be separated when the world tries to shut me out. I won't be shut up. I won't be shut down. I won't be scammed. And I won't be separated when the world tries to shut me out. Joanna and I were talking this week about things in the news and all the the hate, the clear hate for the things of God and the good things of God and the sanctity of life, the hatred that is spewed forth because we live in a world that is opposed to God and his kingdom. But I will not be separated when the world tries to shut me out. Tragically, most churchgoers only attend church 40% of the time. I'm here not because I have a job. For many years before I became a pastor, I was faithful to church whenever the doors were open. I was a drug kid, drug to church, Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Wednesday night, Thursday night visitation. I'm not a pastor because I get paid for it. I'm a pastor because it's my calling in my life. God called me when I was 15 years old. I'm not in church because I'm a preacher. I'm in church because I need the Lord and his people. 40% of the time, the average church member goes, I want to brag on you. A lot of you are here way more than that. Some of you are here less than that. But I've determined in my life, I'm not going to be separated when the world tries to shut me out. The world system hates us. I was talking to my, my, my BA Marine brother. He's been out of the Marines for a long time now, but he's still tough. He served our country, and I thank God for him and for all of you who served our nation. He was talking about the political arena and how evil is so much being praised and espoused. And he said, I, I just got one thing to say for so many people in political parties, whatever side they're on, if they're not believing God. He said, there's only one word to describe it. And I was shocked that it came out of his mouth. It's evil. It's evil. Listen, we live in a beautiful world that God has made, but it has been tainted by sin. The beauty that God wants to show forth and shine forth and does shine forth in many people's lives is gone from people that don't know Jesus. And it is an evil place full of evil and dominated by evil and dominated by evil leaders and despots and people who try to take from God what is rightfully his, his glory. The world system hates us. The world system hates the name. The world system hates the resurrection. These leaders hated it because it sounded like there could be a coup because all these people are talking about resurrection. People might follow Jesus instead of them. God forbid. The name is offensive. The resurrection is offensive. The only way is offensive. So we need friends. That's why this church is here, for God and for his glory and to equip and strengthen and fortify Friendships. 
I've been so discouraged the last couple of weeks. My wife's been sick now for 21 days. She's better, but still suffering with bronchitis. And God's helping her. Thank you, God, for that. But listen, we had to cancel a life group the first two weeks of this semester, and it crushed me. Why? Because I need Christian friends. I need Christian people to pray with me and encourage me and that I can pray with and encourage. I will not be separated when the world tries to shut me out. We live in a world that's hostile to Christ. We need each other. Look at verse 32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. This is so cool. You're talking about unity. One heart and one soul. No one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each one as anyone had need. Then Joseph, who also was called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus. He was a Cypriot Jew. Verse 37, he sold a field that belonged to him and brought about the money and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. They were one heart, one soul, one mind, and they were not materialistic. This was not forced socialism. Everybody didn't sell everything that they have and contribute to one pot. But when there was needs, they did whatever it took to make sure that the needs were met. Here's the last knot. I will not be seduced when the world shouts. Look at me now. I will not be seduced when the world shouts more. I've got to have more. I've got to have bigger. I've got to have better. I've got to have fancier. I've got to have shinier. I will not be seduced when the world shouts more. The world says, you've got to do this. You've got to keep up with the Joneses. I don't even know who the Joneses are. They were not, there were wealthy people in their midst. You can be wealthy and not be materialistic. They said, God, all I have is yours. And there were needs, and some people went and sold the lands and did things with it for the glory and the kingdom of God. And they were not seduced when the world shouts out more. (coughs) Materialism. Tragically, most Americans live at 110% of their income. So there's no margin for generosity. There's no margin for helping. There's no margin for giving. There's no margin for supporting the Wilkes Pregnancy Care Center. No margin for generosity. They work their fingers to the bone to keep their stuff. No time or energy left. They're self-absorbed in love with self and the world. Here's what John says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. You can write it down. Look it up later, 1 John 2, 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not him. He's not talking about the the sun, the moon, the stars, and the beautiful things that God's provided. He's talking about the world system. Don't let the world's priorities become yours. Don't be eat up with greed and materialism and work your fingers to the bone and have to work till you're 80 years old to support your stuff. I will not be seduced when the world shouts more. Generosity is the only cure 
for materialism. Generosity is the only cure for materialism. One commentator said this, sit loose to the wealth of this world. Sit loose to the wealth of this world. As a next step today, I want you to write this down if you would. Lord, please help me to grow. That's what this section of Acts is about. The church is growing. Now they're up to 5,000. But the, the church is growing because the people are growing. Because the people are the church. And they're growing. Because they'll not be shut down, shut up, shut out. They will not be separated from one another. And they will not be seduced when the world steps out. Shouts out more. The next step, Lord, please help me to grow so I will not be silenced, stopped, scammed, separated, or seduced. Lord, please help me to grow so I will not be silenced, stopped, scammed, separated, or seduced. Growth comes through stress. A burrow comes about because of a stress in a tree. And your stress can cause you to grow better or to grow bitter. But if you give your stress and your life and your things and all that you are to God and you say, Lord, I will not give up. I will not give in. I will not shut up. I will not shut down. I will not be seduced. I will not be scammed. God will honor that. And he will take your mess and make a message. He will take that burl and make it into something beautiful if you'll give it to him. Would you bow with me in prayer? Christians, if God's spoken to your heart about something this morning, maybe you've shut up or shut down or been seduced or scammed. And God's speaking to your heart right now and you say, there's something that God's dealing with me about and I'm going to present it to him right now. With me, would you raise your hand? Lord, I'm dealing with some things. Help me. Come on, be honest, folks. Anybody here not dealing with something? Come on, for real. Lord, help me. Lord, help me not to believe the lies. Help me to walk in truth. Lord, help us. Help your people to do what you call us to do. And for those of you who do not know Jesus, the evidence is quite clear. Will you trust in Jesus? You can call out to him right where you are today, if you will. Lord God, help us to do today what we'll be glad we've done when we stand before you in eternity. In Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with us as we sing?